Well, we are in a series. We're talking about the LIGHT acronym here at the church. Really just kind of just revisiting, I mean, I mean, what it is that, that, that we do, who it is that we are. So we have their loving, um, investing, going, honoring, teaching, kind of simplified it for this morning. And so this morning we're going to be talking about honoring. So everybody say honor. honor. One more time, say honor. 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 Now, before I get into that, I want to tell a quick, just quick story. I mean, a couple of years ago, I mean, at the last family reunion, my family, we love to do family reunions. Now, my family is huge. The Tercero side of my family is massive. Like, they're all over the place. There's so many of them. And somehow, we're all, I mean, every, if the moment that you hear that we're a Tercero, we're all related. Like, you just, like, we look alike. Like, it's hard for Cece to tell me apart from my brothers. I'm just kidding. No, that'd be bad news. <laughs> no, but no, we do. We all look alike. But, so my family's massive. So when we do family reunions, we try to find, like, a central location, somewhere that we can all meet up, somewhere we can all gather. And so we have family in New York. I have family in Washington. We have family all over. We have family in Chile. We have family in had family in China, so just everywhere. Right now, I have a cousin in Greece helping the, the refugees, and so we're just kind of spread all throughout the world right now. And so when we have a family reunion, we try to find a central location, somewhere for us to meet up, somewhere we can gather, and we get together for about a week. Now, here's the thing. One of our favorite spots has been uh, Chama, up here, just up north, and Chama's have to take such a beautiful place. Now, the thing is, the the, the journey that I have to take from Santa Fe to Chama looks a lot different than the journey somebody has to take from New York to Chama. And it looks a lot different than the journey that my cousins from Washington have to take from, from there to Chama. And my point is this, a lot of things in the kingdom of God, and honor must start here, where we recognize we're not all, I mean, we're all pursuing the same thing, but we're not all on the same journey. You know, we're, we're coming from different angles to this thing. If the Garden of Eden is the goal, if heaven is the goal, if the kingdom of God is the goal, if Jesus is the center that we are all meeting up at, if that is the, if that is the destination of Christianity, we must first recognize everybody's story is not going to look like my own. And so what that does is it creates this space for honor. It creates this space where I can say, you know what? You may not have seen the same things I saw coming the way that I came. You may not have encountered the same obstacles that I encountered. And my obstacles are not greater, nor are they less than anybody else's in the room. And so we have this space created for this place of understanding and love and relationship. And where it's not, it's my way or the highway. And unless if you know A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and I mean, if you don't have it in the order that I have it, a lot of times in Christianity, we view things that way. If you don't see it exactly like I see it, then we can't be brothers or sisters, you know? And honor has no room for that. Honor does not make room for this um, superiority complex or an inferiority complex. It makes space for saying, you know what? Um, Dr. Seuss had a great quote, okay? I love Dr. Seuss. Does anybody love Dr. Seuss in this room? Good, good. He's a great man. Just kidding, I don't know how, I don't know his character. But he had this quote, right? He had this quote and he said, he said, every person you know, everybody you encounter knows something you don't. Everybody you encounter knows something you don't. And so this is a posture I've tried to adopt in my life where all people are my teacher. And so it's not I'm a teacher and I'm the teacher, blah, 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 but it's all people I can learn something from. And this creates a space of honor. And so as we pursue honor this morning, I want us to have that backdrop as we get read verse one. So if you would turn with me to Philippians chapter two, and we're gonna read verse one through four. This is our scripture that we use here at the church to represent what it means to honor one another, what it means to honor one another. And so it says here in Philippians, and I'm just going to read the whole passage. We're going to break it down throughout the, throughout the sermon. It says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, 
any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Man, let's just read that part. In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. That's a hard pill to swallow. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Amen? Amen. So he starts out with this concept, if there is any. Say, if there's any. If there's any. Now, something we need to understand about this, he goes on this small little rant, uh, Paul does. He says, if there is any encouragement in Christ, comfort from love, participation in the spirit, and any affection and sympathy, it's like saying, if the sky is blue, then do this. He's not saying, hey, consider it. I mean, try to like, I mean, you're welcome to wrestle with it. But what he's presenting are realities of truth. They're realities of the way life just is. And no matter where you're coming from, at some point or another, we have to face the fact that there are absolute truths. Truth must be absolute. It cannot be this relative thing that moves from here to there, from here to there. And so Paul is playing off of that. He's saying there are absolute truths when it comes to who God is and what God is doing in the world today. And so he says, okay, so you're all a bunch of Christians, right? And he's talking to this church and he says, if you have experienced, if there is any encouragement in being in the body of Christ, which the Christians would have to be like, well, yeah, that person just kind of gave me a word of encouragement. You know, there's this sense. He's playing off. He's saying, these are absolutes. You can't just move these. If the sky is blue, if your air, I mean, if, if, if you have to breathe oxygen to survive, establishing it so solid to say, these things must be true. And since they must be true, we must adhere. We must listen. We must abide. We must act in accordance to whatever it is he's about to present to us. Does that make sense? I just want to break down this passage, and we're going to get into some practical stuff. So then he says, if there is any, then he comes into this topic, he says, of one mind, be of one mind. Everybody say, of one mind. Of one mind. He says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. Romans 12, 3 says it this way. We're just going to look at this text. It says, for the, by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to. But to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. He says, be of one mind. There's another place in Corinthians, he talks about having the mind of Christ. Having the mind of of Christ. Now, in the, in the structure of the church, we've been handed down this, 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 um, this structure. It's, it's, a, it's like a prescription as to how the church should be, how it should function. And the very first thing we must establish is Christ himself is head. Christ himself is head. So when he says, be of one mind, he's not saying, hey, all of you guys need to come into a room, lay down all the topics on the table, and until you find some sort of unity, until you find some sort of place where you can say, we all think the same, that's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about thinking the same about absolutely everything. That would be impossible because why? We're all coming from different points on the map. So something that makes sense to you may not make sense to me just yet. Does that, does, does that make sense? You kind of follow that? And so what he's saying is being of the same mind. He's talking about Christ himself being the absolute foundation of our lives. 
And once we have that established, now we wrestle with things. Now we discover, okay, so what does that actually mean in the practicality of life? Hot topic. What does it actually mean when it comes to loving my enemy, turning the other cheek? Let's talk about a hot topic today. What does that mean as to how I treat, do not treat, talk about, do not talk about Syrian refugees? How does that, and so, and so we wrestle with these things and just that topic, there's going to be a split in this room because some are of one thought and some are of another, but that's not to say we are not still learning from the same mind of Christ. Just because we think differently does not bring disunity. It doesn't have to. And that's something I really want to hammer today. Something I really want to just establish today. There is power in diversity. There is power in diversity. And this word that we see, be of one mind, this concept of unity, it's not conformity. Conformity and unity are very different things. And we're going to get into that throughout the rest of the message. Now, he talks about Christ is the head, we are the body. Christ is the head, we are the body. Whoever took a biology class? Yeah? Sorry to embarrass you if you haven't taken a biology class. Like, oh, no, I don't know. What's a cell? What does that do? No, but it's, so when we talk about the physical body, my body right now, okay, it's a great specimen of a body. It's great, okay, just saying. <laughs> just, I'm just kidding. We're going to get into that in a minute. I'll make fun of myself. Don't worry about it. So when it comes to the way my body works, the physical, so Paul's using imagery. He's using a metaphor. He's showing us, look, it's, it's like this. And so the same way my body functions, the way my hands are moving, the way my mouth is speaking, the way my heart is beating and my lungs are breathing, the way that this thing functions together, there is a source that is controlling all of that. It's called the mind. And so my arm is only, all my arm is doing is responding to signals being sent from my mind. That's it. That's all that my body does. My body is simply responding to what it is the mind is doing. And in the same way, the church must function that way. Where each person is a member. Each person is a part of what it is that's going on in the world today. Each person carries the living Christ within them. For each person has their own capacity, ability, responsibility to be taking signals from what Christ is saying, and then applying that to their life today. So the church was not meant to function where it's one or two or three or four doing something consistently. And the gathering's beautiful, where, one, where we have a teacher and we have worship, and that's beautiful. There's a place for that. But if that's all that it ever is, if you do not find your role, if you do not find your place, and if you do not take the responsibility of what it is God has placed inside of you, the body will not function as God has designed it to function. Does that make sense? So this morning, I really want to empower you. I want you to be empowered in this place to know that, you know what? It's not just what so-and-so said. It's not just what Benji was talking about this morning. God, you're speaking to me. And what are you saying to me? What are you saying to me? Not what are you saying to Benji? What are you saying to me? And if you want to use Benji's words to talk to my heart, beautiful. If you don't, beautiful. And so when we come into this place with this attitude, we say, Christ or mind, what are you up to here? And what is my part to play? You're going to find so much more fulfillment in a church gathering like this. And it doesn't stay there. You're going to find more fulfillment in your day-to-day life. You're going to find more fulfillment when you walk into your house, when you walk through your front door and you have that in your heart, in your mind, you say, Jesus, what are you doing in my home right now? And what is my part to play? It changes the whole game. It changes everything. Does that make sense? I hope so. Cool. So we each play a part. 
we each play a part. And he talks about this in Romans. He says, uh, he says um, not to think more highly than you ought to. Not to think more highly than you, know, than you ought to. Philippians 2 verse 3 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Romans 12, 14 says this, Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Man, oh man, can you apply that to the world? Pray that God would bless them. What do our prayers look like right now? That's intense. I mean, we could do a whole sermon just on that, but we won't because I didn't study for that. So, sorry. <laughs> it says, pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. Don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Wow. Wow. You could rip that, that, just that piece of the text and you can live by that and you'd be walking like Christ. Just that little portion of scripture says so much for us. And so he says, do not think more highly of yourselves. He talks about, do not, do not consider yourself more so that you're not hanging out with ordinary people. I love the way he uses that sense, that, that word, ordinary people, as in he's hitting something. He's hitting something in the people he's writing to. He is saying, you think more about yourself than you do of others. We're going to talk about pride. We're going to talk about humility this morning. Now, humility is this thing that, again, I feel like we, we've kind of like, I don't know if it's everybody or if it's been how long it's been in church history or just in the concept of the world. Humility is a very, it's, it's kind of a, a, a weird word. In the original Greek, humility was a negative word. It was never used as a positive characteristic of, per, of a person until Paul starts using it of Jesus himself. Before that, humility was a very negative thing in their mind. So when Paul says, be humble, He's flipping something. He's saying, look, the way the world has taught us to think is not truth. And there's a better way to think. Now, I want to clarify what humility is for you this morning. And I hope this really moves something in your heart. Because there's two sides of this thing. I've seen people, I've been the person where in humility, I belittle myself. And I think less of myself. And I think, you know what? I can't keep God. Because God, because if I rise, then it's all about me and blah, 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 blah. And then it's like, yeah, but then you're fighting the hand of God. Because God's heart is to continue to promote you and to take you to higher places from glory to glory. And so it seems like we were resisting God trying to fight this humility game. Humility is not about belittling yourself. Humility, rather, is about seeing as God sees Humility is about seeing as God sees. So how does this apply? It means I can see myself as God sees myself. But it cannot stop there. Because when I see myself as God sees myself, God sees me as pretty awesome. I don't know if you know that. That's just true. He loves me. He died for me. He gave everything for me. Why would he do that if he didn't think I was worth it? Why would he do that if I wasn't worth it to him? So you know what humility is? It's, you know what, to God I was worth it. And that's humbling in and of itself. I was worth it. And it's not this gimmick. It's not this game like God's like, oh, I'm going to do this thing for you so that you can feel bad about yourself the rest of your life because now you owe me one. That's not what he's doing. He's saying, no, I love you. 
I love you. And before you could ever earn it, I loved you. And you still could never earn it. And I love you because I see you as worthy. That's insane. And it doesn't make sense. But when I can see myself that way, you know what it does? All the depression games, all the little insecurities that I struggle with, all the little things that I stack on my shoulders and tell myself, you're not good enough because of this, 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 and this. Look who you are. Look at how you act. Look at how you treat your wife, blah, blah, blah. And I can make myself feel like this horrible human being and God's standing there like, that's not who you are. That's not who you are, but it cannot stop there. We can see ourselves through the eyes of God, and that's beautiful. But here's the next step. God doesn't love just me. He loves the person next to me. He loves my neighbor. He loves my enemy. This levels the playing ground when it comes to honor, because now it's not just those who earn honor, just those who have earned my, and not just those that have earned my trust, but it's no, because I'm worth it to God and because they are worth it to God. Now I can see this level playing ground where I am not greater and I am not lesser than any human being on this planet to have ever lived, ever. What does this mean when it comes to uh, ISIS? What does this mean when it comes to, to refugees? What does this mean when it comes to that coworker who, if we're honest, is completely, entirely annoying? And we know that. I mean, we, I mean, we could be honest about those things, but what does that mean? How then do I approach those struggles? How then do I approach those issues with that person? It's honor. It's not, God, make me less and make them more. It's, no, God, let me see as you see. Teach me to see as you see, and honor is established. Pride, pride is an illusion. In the text, we have this word conceit. It says it here. Let me find it just so you don't think I'm making it up because sometimes I make things up. I'm just kidding. That made you really uncomfortable, huh? <laughs> Philippians 2.3 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. That word conceit can actually be translated as delusion. As a delusion. It's a lie. We think of ourselves as prideful. Here's, let's talk about what pride actually is. It's not thinking more of myself because I actually know who I am. Deep down, we know who we are, right? So, we, so it's not like, oh, I'm actually really awesome. No, the way I get to a place of pride is by putting everybody else lower. I belittle other people, therefore I look higher. It's delusion. It's an optical illusion. It's this sense in our spirit where it says, well, so-and-so's awful, so I'm not that bad. So you know what? I'm a pretty good guy. It's a delusion. It's a lie. It's this thing we buy into. It's this thing we feed ourselves to, to, fill, to fill up that void of, of fear and insecurity. And really all that comes from is because we don't see how much God actually loves us. Does that make sense? Amen. Amen. So pride is an illusion. We don't actually think higher of ourselves as God think less of others. Humility comes from seeing all of humanity as God does. Now let's talk about that just a little bit more in depth is in the text in Genesis, we have God creating humanity, right? And it talks about he created them, male, female. It says this in, the, in chapter one. He created them male and female. He created them in his image. Male and female. He created them in his image. See, it's not just men that are in the image of God. Women are equally in the image of God as men are, right? And so all humanity, no matter what they believe, no matter where they live, no matter what they come from, it doesn't matter what their sexual orientation is, it doesn't matter what their political decisions are, 
they're all made in the image of God. Every single one of them. Every human being is made in the image of God. Now, what does that mean? That means when I curse them, I curse the image of God. Whoa. Blasphemy, right? And we would never, somebody would never come up here on the pulpit and start dropping F-bombs towards God. We would never do that. But when it comes to our neighbor who we don't get along with, it doesn't matter. We drop those words all the time. We, we, we think those thoughts all the time. We have that hatred all the time in our hearts and we need to understand what is actually going on in those moments. Those moments that you feel something towards your wife, towards, towards your husband, towards your kids, we are actually projecting our anger, our hatred. We think we're putting it on them. We're actually putting it on the image of God. That's intense. Is that intense? Is that intense? Just like raise your hand if that's intense. That's a lot. It was a lot for me. I know it's a lot for you. I've had some time with this, you know, kind of like sifting through it. So I know it's really, it's really a lot up front. So all people bear the image of God. Now, even more so, there's a step further than this. The image of God would be like a glove. It's probably one of the best examples my mind has come up with at this point. It'd be like a glove. Then there's this moment where Christians, where we are brothers and sisters, we recognize that, yeah? We're brothers and sisters in this place, brought into the same family, born of the same father. We share things in common. Brothers and sisters, not in the things that we like, it's in the DNA that flows through our spirits, okay? So we're brothers and sisters in, the place, in this place. How that works is the image of God, Christ filled that with himself. So it's like putting the hand in the glove. And so every believer here contains the Spirit. You, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you. The Word says Christ himself became a, live, a life-giving Spirit. Jesus himself. Like We need to understand this. Paul says this. If the same Spirit that rose Christ from the dead dwells inside of you, you get that? There's this, there's this sense, there's this, there's this power, there's God dwelling, living, that word dwelling, it means he, he made his tent next to you. He lives with us. He lives within you. And so now it's not even just all humanity is in the image of God. That's step one. Now it's even a step further. It's not all humanity is made in the image of God. It's all my brothers and sisters contain. They are holding, they are holding an aspect of who God is. They are carriers of Jesus himself. So here's where gossip becomes a massive, massive issue in the church. What you say about them, you say about Jesus. Jesus said it like this, what you do for the least of these, you do to me. What you do not do for the least of these, you do not do for me. Apply that in the same context of the way we treat one another even in this room. I mean, it's really beautiful and like flowery and kind of uh, Miss America for us to talk about loving all the world, right? It's kind of like, it's, I mean, it's in that world. Like, well, okay, I'm just going to love everybody. Everybody's in the image of God. That's awesome. And that's beautiful. I would, if you can actually take that, run with it, do it. Beautiful. But before we can go outward, we must first think inward. How do you treat your family? How do you treat your, your kids, your wife? How do you treat your church, the people that you're in relationship with? How do you treat the body of Christ? Where is honor in our lives or where is honor lacking in our lives. Because what we do for a brother and sister, we do for Christ. For Christ. And what we do not do for a brother and sister, we neglect to do that for Christ. Amen? Amen. So, man, this is heavy stuff. Goodness. Who? Did you guys prepare this thing? You should put some jokes in here. So, all people bear the image of God. All believers 
are in Christ, have Christ within them. Therefore, all people are worthy of honor and respect, even if they do not live honorably or respectfully. Even if they do not, do not live up to that standard, they, are, they still deserve it because God treats them as such. Now, everybody say, not only, but also. One more time, not, you guys are a little slow. Okay, so everybody say, not only, but also. One more time, not only, but also. He says this, he says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So let's clarify something. There's this other extreme of what we would call honor, and it's actually called irresponsibility. So it's this world where we like, we start to, we neglect the things God has put us over. We neglect the things God has made us accountable of. And we neglect those things for the sake of helping other people, which is beautiful motivation, but it's a little misguided because it says there in the text, look not only to your own interests. Therefore, that implies you must look to your own interests. If you don't take care of the things that only you can take care of, nobody else is going to do it for you. If you don't make money for your family, don't expect somebody else to do it for you. And that's, I'm just saying, we need to own the thing God has put us over. Yeah? Before we do anything else. So we need to take care of priorities. I understand that. And we need to balance that. We need to take care of our priorities, but we need to clarify what is actually a priority versus what do we make priorities. Does that make sense? There are things God has called you to oversee. And then there are things that you have just kind of decided to oversee that may not be in God's call for your life. And we need to check that. We need to, we, need to, we need to deal with those. And I know I'm putting a lot of questions in your hearts. I know I'm putting a lot of thoughts in your mind. And I love that just because it is the job of an overseer to train and equip people, not just to tell them what to do. I want to challenge you. Process it for yourself. God, take that question. God, what are the things that you've called me to oversee? What are the things that I've just kind of taken on without your, without your, without your blessing, without your anointing, without your calling? So you must look to your own interests and at the same time, also to the interests of others. So I just want to clarify that piece. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it says this. It says, I love this text. It's a really funny text. Okay? It says, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the, of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. And this is funny. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? Could you guys just imagine like a flopping eye all over the place? Like there's like really, that's just gross. <laughs> Paul wrote it, not me. And then he says, if the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? It's funny. So we talk, we've been talking about this in the house. We've been, we meet Saturday nights, 18 to 35-year-olds. We, we, and this is kind of the topic we've been focusing on. So it's funny because um, Cece, I don't know if, how many of you guys know my wife, Cece. I hope you do. If you don't, there she is. She's beautiful. She's super awesome back there. But her, she hates ears. Like, just hate. It's a weird thing, right? She hates ears. Like, you, I'm not even going to talk about it. She just doesn't like ears, okay? But here's the thing. Imagine a whole body being a floppy ear, just like flopping all around. Like the thing doesn't even have legs. It can't walk. So I don't know how it like hobbles or like kind of rolls. It's just gross. Just a gross image. And that's what he's talking about. It says, if the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, 
the body that we think of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts, which is, I love that Paul included that in the text. He's fantastic. Our unpresentable parts. It's funny. He talked about it. Those are private parts. Okay, it's what he's talking. I don't know if I have to spell it out. Nobody laughed. It's funny. Paul thought it was funny. Okay. And on those parts that we consider, so our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty which our more presentable parts do not require. God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one suffers, all suffer. If one is honored, we rejoice together. There's two things I want to hammer in this passage of the text. He talks about if the foot says to itself, well, I'm not a hand, that doesn't make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, well, I'm not an eye, that doesn't make it any less part of the body. Here's what we're seeing here. Paul is hitting two main things that we struggle with that completely disjoint the body. And they're totally internal. You have the solution to this thing if you would deal with it within yourself. The first one, we're going to call inferiority. It's an inferiority complex. It's like, well, so-and-so does this, and they do that, and they're awesome because of this, and what do I have to offer? I'm just an ear. Like, I'm just a floppy little ear. Like, what do I have to do in this world, you know? And so we get this sense of inferiority where we feel like because we do not look or act or think or process or do whatever it is like somebody else does, we then begin to belittle ourselves. Inferiority will always keep you from playing your part in the body of Christ. If you think less of yourself, it will always keep you from playing your part in the body of Christ. It doesn't make you not a part of the body, like he said, but instead of hearing, you're thinking about, why can't I see? Does that make sense? Instead of doing what it is you're called to do, you're wondering why you can't do all the things you weren't called to do. Then he talks about this, but the eye cannot say to the foot, I don't need you. If an eye looked at a foot and was like, I really have a situation, then we just like, you know, amputate that thing off, that's unhealthy. Like you do that to yourself, that's an unhealthy situation. Okay, you should go get checked. So an eye cannot say to the foot, I have no need for you. What is that? That's pride. Because I'm the eye, because I'm the one who does all this and that, because I'm this magnificent part of the body and you're just a dirty foot. It's pride. It's this sense of because I'm something and you're not, or because of inferiority, there's something and I'm not. When that's the way we live our lives, when that's the way we think about ourselves, you cripple the body of Christ. We cripple the body of Christ. And the only solution is you. It's a change in the way you think about yourself. And it's a change in the way you think about others. Honor would be the level playing ground. So, inferiority pride. We're all in this together. Now, something I want to do, just real quick, illustration. And I love playing guitar. Isn't it great? I get to preach and play guitar at the same time. It's fantastic. And you have to just deal with it. All right, Gabe, you got this? Whoa. All right, sweet. So, illustration time. What I have on my guitar is called a tuner. Yeah, see it? Black piece. It's a black piece of equipment. And what's happening is it's actually measuring wavelengths of these particular notes. If I was a better guitarist, I could have tuned much faster. And so what it does is it keeps things in harmony with one another. 
And it does so according to a standard that we call middle C. Hey, Orlando, can you come up here and come to your piano real quick? Everybody give a hand to Orlando. All right, I want you to play middle C. Western. Sweet. So in Western music, that note is called middle C, and it is the center point. So if the North Star is the way that they navigated the seas, the middle C note is how we navigate music in the Western world. So that would be true North, okay? Everything must revolve around middle C. And so the way that we developed our tuning system was everything must be in alignment. The way that the, the wavelengths move, they must be in alignment to that specific note, middle C. And from that, we get all these different tunings. For, for, so for guitar, we tune E, A, D, G, B, E. It's a lot of music theory. No, it's a lot. Just, it's okay. It's not bad. These, all of these notes, my tuner is built around the frequency that middle C functions on, if that makes sense. This functions around the idea of middle C, constant, the constant, truth, we could say. Maybe Jesus. Now, everything else must align to that. They're not the same notes, though. This isn't C, but it must be relative to C. And so I could play a really pretty G chord. Sounds really pretty, right? Come on, tell me how pretty it sounds. I talked about unity earlier. The idea of unity is not conformity. The idea of unity in the scripture is actually harmony. So it's not everything needs to look the same. It's not everything needs to sound the same. It's not that everything needs to feel the same. It's that everything must play its part in relation to Jesus. As my guitar is tuned around middle C, the church should be tuned around Jesus himself. That is what brings harmony to the body of Christ. When each of us can play our part, when each of us can take that signal from the mind and flesh it out in the church. What? Ephesians talks about the church being the fullness of Christ. What? It'll only happen when we're listening to the mind of Christ. The same way my guitar must obey the tuner, must listen to the tuner, that's the only way it's going to sound good. It's the only way that sounds good. Now listen, this is going to bug you because it's going to bug me. Even if I go off just a little bit. That's pretty. Ugh, don't do that. You can go ahead and play. It says, Jesus Christ is the head of the body, the church. Ephesians says, he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The church will only demonstrate the fullness of Christ when we align ourselves to what Christ is up to. There's some scary statistics out there right now talking about how church attendance is declining, Christianity's plummeting. 
and projecting that in 20 to 25 years, we will be the minority. Barna, as Barna Group, that's what they're saying. 20 to 30 years, if things keep going the way we're going, we will be the minority. You want to know what that's called? When this thing's out of tune, we call it dissonance. You know what we could call it? A disjointed body. You know what causes it? Living by the flesh. Listening to your own mind and not the mind of Christ. So honoring one another is, if Jesus is the hope of the world and the church is supposed to be the demonstration of the fullness of Christ who fills all in all, then the only way that there is hope for this world is if the church can unite in harmings for another. Where bitterness, malice, gossip, all those things fall to the side because it's not what he is saying. And so it's not what we say where those things aren't something we act out on because it's not what the mind is communicating. Right now what we have, and I'm not talking, I mean, this, this is something we need to be very understanding and real about. We have a responsibility here. I'm not the only one who walked in the room this morning with something I'm responsible for. You are a carrier of Jesus Christ. You have a responsibility here. And not just here, out there, and not just out there today, but tomorrow, and not just tomorrow, but the day after. The fullness of what Jesus is doing on the earth will only be seen when we are in tune. When we are in tune with one another. When we are in tune with Him. There's a song in the universe that the Father is playing. But if He's the melody, then you're the other, you're the other notes all around that. You're the harmony to it. Are you playing your part? Are you playing your part? Are you filling that call that God has called you to? And if you're not, check yourself for inferiority. Check yourself for pride. And surrender those to him. Because you are worthy. But so is everybody else. Final illustration. If the whole thing's a piece, I mean, if the whole thing's a puzzle, we're each a piece. If I haven't given you enough imagery to take home and make this really tangible and practical for yourself, here's probably the simplest one I could come up with. If the whole thing's a puzzle, we're each a piece. You're not just wanted, you are needed. You're not just wanted, you're needed. And when we feel that call, Heaven will invade earth. Heaven will invade earth. Amen. Amen. So honor one another. Let's take a stand. We're going to close our eyes. If there's anybody in this room, you know the stories, you know Jesus, you know, you, you, you've heard of, of what he did, what he's doing, the fact that he stepped down, he came into existence with humanity, he stepped into our world in all humility, in all honor, and he laid it all down for, you, for us, for you as an individual, if you were the only one would have done it for you. If you've never responded to that call, 
If you never responded to that tug, I'm telling you, we're not trying to fabricate something. I'm not trying to manipulate something. Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, is in this place. Because I'm here, because you're here. And where two or more are gathered, there he is. He's here. He's doing something. He's moving. If you've never responded to that call and you feel that tug within you, it's unexplainable. It's this thing. It's drawing us. It's pulling us. And we feel it and we fight it and we resist it and we're scared of it. But he will never quit on you because you're worth it to him. If you feel that this morning, I want to invite you. Just put your hand up in the air and say, Jesus, I surrender. I want to be a part of what you're doing beautiful few hands put them up high put them up high beautiful beautiful just repeat this prayer after me all as a body let's say this together let's let's join in harmony with our brothers and sisters as they enter into the kingdom of God with us say father I love you Jesus thank you Lord I know I'm a sinner But God, I know that you died for me. I know that you rose for me. So that I too could experience death and life. Jesus, I submit my life to you. And I accept all that you have for me. May every day be as open heavens in my life. Teach me to listen to your voice, not to my own. Teach me to walk as you walk. Teach me to love as you love. You are king. You are good. And I am yours. And in Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Send them a shout of praise for our King. We love you. Pray blessing over your lives, over your families, over everything that you do. As you leave this place, listen. Listen for him. He's here. He doesn't stop here. He's with you. Listen. Amen. Amen. Love you guys.